Amen. Hosanna. Christ the Lord is risen today. Won't you stand to your feet as we sing together? Well, good morning, church. The Lord is risen. Praise the Lord that our salvation does not rest within us, but it rests solely on the life and death and burial and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, we are certainly glad that you have come uh, to worship with us today. And especially if you're visiting with us, we would like to call your attention to a care card that is placed in the pew back in front of you. Uh, it has a place for you to fill out some information 
uh, that you could do so, and then you could give to one of our staff members or place that in the foyer of the sanctuary uh, as you exit today. Uh, we just want to have recollection of your visit, so we're thankful that you're here. And on the opposite side of that care card is a place for anyone to share any prayer requests that you might have. And again, just give that to one of us that we can pray for that as well. So, But we are certainly glad and grateful that you have come to worship with us on this Easter morning. Uh, just a few announcements for you this morning. Number one uh, is that we are collecting now for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And we'll be collecting for that for a while. Our goal is $57,000. You guys are always so, uh, you always are so giving uh, to our missions efforts, and we are so thankful and grateful for that. Uh, but our goal this year is $57,000. Just a couple of things, too, about this week. Uh, there's no activities here tonight nor Wednesday night, so enjoy this week off with friends and family as we celebrate spring break. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, family dedication service is on May the 8th. And if you want to participate in this special service, uh, there's a form that you must complete online. Uh, and that form is due by May the 24th. And there's a special class for this dedication service. And that's going to be on May the 8th. So uh, May the 1st. And so we have the deadline is the 24th of April to get your form turned in, a class on May the 1st, and then the actual service on May the 8th. So if you have any questions about that, uh, you can speak with Amy Alley. Also, during the month of April, we're requesting that community group members and church members go by and visit the lobby at, in the foyer here uh, to where we are collecting information about you and uh, we're trying to update that information so if you would go by and, and visit garrett and, and leslie and let them snap a recent photo of you it's, and again it's just an efforts to to uh get our information updated so if you go by there and take care of that before the end of this month we would greatly appreciate it um, our ladies ministry is sponsoring uh, growth groups to help each other grow in their relationship to the lord this ministry will run from uh, May till November uh, and will meet twice a month. Uh, there will be a kickoff event on May the 9th at 7 p.m. in the core. And registration deadline for this is also May the 1st, and the cost is $10. And if you have questions about this ministry, you can see Connie Davis. Also, our ladies' ministries is sponsoring their, their annual tea event, and that's going to be on May the 5th at 6.30 in the core. And the cost for that is $10, uh, but for ages 3 to 9, the cost is only $5. So we hope you ladies make your plans and preparations for that event as well. Uh, we also have our food roundup that's going on through the end of this month. Uh, there are collection bins in the foyer of the sanctuary here and also in the lobby of the core. So if you would help us out with that, we sure would appreciate it. Then our Sewing Hands Ministry will also meet this coming Saturday from 9.30 to 1 in the core activity room. Uh, you guys will continue working on the projects for Katie Cloys. And if you have any questions about this, please contact Pat Connor or Carla Setzer. Um, so um, this morning was a, a blessed morning as we celebrated the Lord Jesus at our sunrise service. And a uh, big thank you to all who came to that. And then all those who... Uh, gave uh, to our adult mission teams who are going to Alaska this summer. 
um, by coming to the breakfast. And if you weren't able to, to participate in that but still would like to give with that, I'm sure if you talk to Janet Blanford, she would help you out there. But again, thank you for being with us here this morning. Uh, celebrate the Lord's resurrection. Let's go to him now as we pray to him, Father. Father, we come to you this morning and our hearts are exceedingly glad for what you have done for us. You have done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Lord, we know that our salvation is secure in you. For what you have done for us on the cross of Calvary and when you exclaimed, it is finished, the battle is over. And Father, the victory was won three days later when the Lord Jesus came up out of the tomb, proclaiming victory over death and over sin and over the grave. Father, for that we are forever grateful. Lord, I pray that because of that, our affections would be stirred this morning to worship you in spirit and in truth. I pray, Father, that our minds and our hearts would be engaged in learning about you. And, Father, how we can be made and molded into the image of your Son, Christ. Lord, we pray this morning as we sing and as we pray and as the message is given, I pray that everything is done to the uplifting and glorifying and magnifying of the name of the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for our salvation. And Lord, we just pray this morning that if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus in a personal way, that has never confessed their sins and they don't have a relationship with you, I pray, Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit that you would speak to their hearts and that they would believe on Jesus for salvation this morning. And Father, for the believer here this morning, I pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to walk close to you, to walk in the Spirit, so that we would not gratify the desires of the flesh. Lord, we love you. We thank you for allowing us to be in such a beautiful place this morning to celebrate the greatest event ever in history, the resurrection of our Savior. And we pray in his name. Amen. Interesting. In the darkness we were weighed Without hope, without light Till from heaven you came running There was mercy in your eyes To fulfill the law and promise to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the forever. 
The song was moved for good, for the Lamb it conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born in the spirit of the flame. Now this gospel
Matthew Choir, Jonathan, take your Bibles out and turn with me to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Without the resurrection, the gospel would not fully be good news. 1 Corinthians 15, and we'll read from verses 12 down through verse 34. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word, please? Again, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 to 34. Without the resurrection, the gospel would not fully be good news. Paul writes, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him from the dead if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now when it says that everything has been put under his feet, it is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. Now if there is no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the death are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning. For there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Father, we are so grateful that we serve a God who communicates to us. You've communicated through your written word and your living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Lord, we know that it is in him and through him that we have life and the forgiveness of sin. And I pray that if there is even one here this morning who does not have a personal relationship with you through your son Jesus, that this would be the hour that they would trust him and him alone for their salvation. God, we thank you for the celebration that we enjoy today. And in fact, every day in the Christian's life can be like Easter Sunday because he lives. Lord, we're never alone. You're the mighty God, the wonderful counselor, and the prince of peace, and the everlasting father. Thank you for your love for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You know, Dr. Billy Graham once told Time Magazine, he said, if I were an enemy of Christianity, I would aim right at the doctrine of the resurrection because that is the heart of Christianity. Well, folks, that's precisely where many unbelievers and skeptics aim today. They take aim right at the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of the resurrection has been one of the most examined and attacked doctrines of our faith. Even Thomas Jefferson removed the resurrection narratives from his copy of the New Testament, which is called the Jefferson Bible. He took out all of the miracles of Jesus and the Gospels end on this note. And I quote, Now in the place where he, he was crucified there was a garden. And in the garden a new tomb wherein was never a man laid yet. There laid they Jesus and rolled a great stone at the door of the tomb and they departed. Aren't you glad that our Gospels don't end that way? In these 58 verses in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul deals with the doctrine of the resurrection more completely, more thoroughly than anywhere else found in the scripture. John MacArthur writes, Just as the heart pumps life-giving blood to every part of the body, so the truth of the resurrection gives life to every other gospel truth. Folks, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Christianity would have to simply take its place alongside all other human philosophies and religions. You know, in the Bible we see that even Jesus himself foretold his resurrection. In Mark chapter 8 he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And then in that famous passage in John chapter 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And let's not forget that the first two sermons preached after Pentecost had as their subject matter the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, without the resurrection, Jesus may have died for your sins and yet there would be no eternal life. It would be like saying there's a gospel without life. 
And so really without the resurrection, you would even need to ask yourself, what was Calvary's cross all about? If your sin was forgiven there at the cross, and yet there's no eternal life after you die. It seems like the cross would be gutted of all of its significance. And let me say that belief in the resurrection is absolutely critical to one's salvation. In Romans 10 verse 9, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is not even possible to be a Christian without embracing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Folks, that's how important the Easter message is. Paul points out in these verses how meaningless Christianity would be without the resurrection. It is not as though the, the Corinthians doubted Christ's resurrection because they were indeed believers. But you see what's happened at Corinth is there have been a group of false teachers who have come into the church. And they're beginning to sow seeds of doubt in the minds and hearts of the believers. And so Paul is herein writing to the believers and he's trying to build their confidence and, and clear up their muddy thinking and, and correct any false doctrine and, and heresy that's been sown in the church. And what he writes to show here is how Christ's resurrection and our resurrection either fall or stand together. Now let's think together this morning on the question, what if there were no resurrection? What if we had nothing to celebrate at Easter? Stated another way, what would Easter mean if there were no resurrection? And so this morning I want to point out what Easter means in relationship to Christ, in relationship to human sin, in relationship to death, and in relationship to hope. And I want you to see how the resurrection is the very heart and core of the good news of the gospel. And let's see why. I want you to see, first of all, this morning, without the resurrection, Christ would not be risen from the dead. Read with me again, beginning in verse 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised... Our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God. For we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not rise, raise him from the dead if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. This is the first and the most obvious answer to the question... What if there were no resurrection? Then that would mean of necessity that not even Christ has been raised from the dead. This ought to be obvious as Paul is saying to them. Now again you may be wondering who Paul is fighting here. What's the background of this passage? It seems like there must be a backstory to this passage. And indeed there is. 
Most likely, Paul was combating an early form of Gnosticism that had begun to confuse the Corinthians. The Gnostics were one of the very first cults. They believe that all spirit matter or all spirit is good and all matter is evil. And consequently they said that God could not have become a man because flesh is matter. And again remember what I just said they said about all matter? All matter is evil. So the Gnostics were saying how could Christ have become a man? Now I want to be clear, Christians believe that Christ is fully man and fully God. Two natures in one essence. And neither nature diminishes the other. But again, the Gnostics were denying the humanity of Jesus Christ. And what you and I can fail to see is how prominent this false teaching was in the early church. You know, when we think about cults, what do we think of? We think about those people who come and knock on your door on Saturday morning, the Jehovah Witnesses, or we think about Mormons. When we think about cults, that's the first two groups that probably come to our minds. But what we might not realize is that in the early church, the main heresy that early believers had to confront was Gnosticism. It was huge. And one version of Gnosticism said that Christ only appeared to be human. It said that the Christ, the Messiah, if you look, if you look, if you think of it that the Christ was spirit and, and Jesus, the man, was material, they said at Jesus' baptism, the Christ descended upon the man. And, and then when Jesus died on the cross, the Christ lifted off of the man Jesus and so that it was not Christ who literally died for our sins. You can see what a heresy this was. Consequently, during the post-resurrection appearances, what they, the Gnostics went on to say, what the disciples saw was the Christ, the spirit man, the, the divine side who only appeared to be risen, but in reality he was not risen because he never died. Again, I trust you can see how dangerous to the gospel Gnosticism was. The Gospels are clear on the fact that Jesus was fully God and fully man. He ate, he drank, he slept, he became tired, and he bled. Jesus did not simply appear to be a man who died and rose again. He was a man who died and rose again. He suffered, he was flogged, he was crucified, he died, he was buried. But on the third day, what happened? He arose. Hallelujah. You know, his death and resurrection were a fact of prophecy. In Psalm 16, the psalmist says, For thou wilt not abandon my soul to Sheol, neither wilt thou allow thy Holy One to undergo decay. Thou wilt make 
known to me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. In thy right hand are pleasures forevermore. And in Isaiah 53, Isaiah writes, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring, he will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. His death and resurrection were a matter of prophecy. His death and resurrection were also a matter or a fact of history. He appeared bodily to the disciples. He even allowed Thomas to feel the nail scars in his hands and in his side where his side was pierced with the sword. There were multiple appearances of Jesus after the resurrection. Paul writes about those here in 1 Corinthians as well. 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verses 3 and following. He said, Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that is Simon Peter, and then to the twelve. After that he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep, that is some have died. And then he appeared to James, then to all of the apostles, and last of all, as it were to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Folks, this could not have been hallucinations. In the history of hallucinations, there is no such thing as a group hallucination where 500 see the very same hallucination all at the same time. And John Maysfield's drama of the trial of Jesus, there's a striking passage in which the Roman centurion in command of the soldiers at the cross comes back to Pilate to hand in his report of the day's work. After the report is given, Pilate's wife beckons to the centurion and begs him to tell how the prisoner died. When the story has been told, she suddenly asks, Do you think he's dead? The centurion says, No, lady, I don't. Then where is he? To which the centurion replies, Lady, He's been let loose in the world where nobody can stop his truth now. Of course, we, we know that he died. He know, we know that he was dead three days, laid in the tomb for three days. But indeed, he's risen. And this truth is being proclaimed in all the world today. Folks, if Christ were not raised, then there would be some things that would go hand in hand with that. I want to give you some principles that would follow necessarily if Christ has not been raised from the dead. And Paul talks about all of these here in verse 14. He says, first of all, that preaching would be pointless. Preaching proclaims the good news of Jesus Christ. And again, what is the good news of Christ? That he died for our sins, that, that he was buried, and on the third day he was raised to life again to give us eternal life. That's the good news of the gospel that preachers preach. 
But if the grave is not conquered, then there's no good news to proclaim. There's no hope to be given to people. Preaching would be nothing more than meaningless words without any type of good news or hope to be delivered. You know what we'd be like? We'd Preachers, we'd be kind of like the little boy in a mall one time with his dad. You remember in the old style malls how out somewhere in the courtyard in the interior of the mall, usually there was a, a scale, a large scale there, and it would have that huge round circle where the, where the needle would go up showing a person's weight, and you'd put in 50 cents or 75 cents or a dollar, and, and one day there was this huge man, I'm I mean, he was a giant of a man, and, and he walks up and puts his money in the scale, and everybody gathers around him because they're like, this guy is huge. Is the scale even going to be able to compute his weight? He, it's going to go off the charts. He puts his money in, he stands up on the scale, and it only goes up to 30 or 40 pounds. And suddenly a child says, look, Dad, he's hollow. Without the resurrection, our preaching would be hollow. It would be nothing more than just some type of do-good essay on life, and you wouldn't need church for that. And so Paul says our preaching would be empty. It would be devoid of any substance, any meaning. It would be hollow. This word, when it was used of vessels that would hold liquid or some other substance, implies that, that the vessel's empty. There's nothing in the vessel. It's a vessel with no contents to it. And that's how preaching would be without the resurrection. When used of men, it means literally that they come empty-handed. They have nothing to offer, no gift in hand. And so preachers would be hollow or empty-handed in this sense. We would have nothing to bring to those who listen to us. We would be empty. Another kid's story. It reminds me of a little boy who came in from playing one day and he had a tummy ache. He'd not eaten all day and his mom said, well, well, son, the reason you got a tummy ache, there's nothing in it. You need to eat. Later on, the preacher came around to visit that day and he said, son, how are you? And the little boy said, I'm doing fine. How are you, preacher? And the preacher said, I've got a terrible headache today. <laughs> And the little boy said, well, my mama says it, it's empty. If you'd put something in it, it, it wouldn't hurt. Again, that's how our preaching would be without the resurrection. It would be gutted of everything. An another principle, faith would be pointless. Look again at verse 14, what Paul says there. Your faith would be empty as well. It would be fruitless. It would be void. It, it would be to no purpose. The same word is used as before. In other words, a dead Savior would have nothing to offer to you or to me. He couldn't offer forgiveness. He couldn't offer eternal life. We'd have to say along with the psalmist, surely in vain, I've kept my heart pure. If there were no resurrection of the dead, the hall of faith that Hebrews 11 talks about would instead be the hall of fools. 
Because listen to what Hebrews says about them. What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, and the prophets who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to to, to f- flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured, not accepting their release in order that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill treated. Men of whom this world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. Folks, they would have endured all of that for absolutely nothing if there were no such thing as the resurrection. Every time you and I walk through the doors of this church, it would be for nothing. The building would be for nothing. Paying the light bill would be for nothing. Sending out missionaries would be for nothing. You would have believed for nothing. We would have to say like Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities. Everything is vanity. And then a third thing we could say if Christ were not risen from the dead. We would be false witnesses. I got a question for you this morning. Raise your hand if your testimony is that Jesus Christ has saved your soul and made you a new creation in Christ. I want you to raise your hand if that's the case with you. I want you to look around. Folks, I want to say to you right now, if Christ is not risen from the dead, every single one of you are nothing but a bunch of liars. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul calls us, would call us false witnesses. It's not that we just mixed up some of the facts. No, it's worse than that. He's saying we would be deceivers, false witnesses, liars. Everybody who's ever given testimony about Jesus Christ saving them, changing their lives, giving them peace, would be nothing more than a liar because a dead man can't give you life and he can't give you peace. That would be the consequence of Christ not being raised from the dead. And we could go even further. We could say all the biblical writers were likewise nothing more than deceivers. They were liars bearing false witness if Jesus were not raised from the dead. I'd be a liar. You'd be a liar. Your Sunday school teacher would be a liar. And all the apostles and the prophets would be liars. And Christ would be a liar and a deceiver. Because Christ prophesied of his own resurrection. You see how serious the matter is? What Paul is saying? If Jesus were not raised from the dead, all of these principles that I've just given you would be fact and reality. But aren't you glad they're not fact and reality? 
Now, what if there were no resurrection? The second major point I want to give you. We would still be in our sins. Look at verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Folks, if there were no resurrection, there would be no reconciliation with God. I mentioned to you last week briefly, 1 Peter 3.18. The just died for the unjust. You know, Isaiah 53 says much the same thing. He says, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. The father looking at the sacrifice of the son being satisfied. My servant, uh, God says through Isaiah, will justify the many as he bears their iniquities. But again, if there's no resurrection, that means that the father did not accept Christ's sacrifice of himself for our sin. And our sin debt would still be there. And you know what the Bible says about sin, right? The wages of sin is what? Death. We have no reason to believe that anyone would go to heaven because nobody would if there's no such thing as the resurrection. What does the Easter celebration of the resurrection give us? It communicates the forgiveness of sins. Paul says in Ephesians 1.7... In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Folks, think about how awesome forgiveness is. Think about that. To know that in Christ you stand forgiven. Everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. Anything you've ever done that would keep you out of heaven. Because the Bible says God can't even look upon evil and no evil will dwell in his sight. But think of all that sin in your life, past, present, and future. Through the blood of Christ, it's all been washed away. It's all been forgiven. Forgiveness is awesome. Even on a human level. I'll give you an illustration of that. Bud Welch lost his daughter in 1995 when Timothy McVeigh blew up the federal building in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. In 1998, Welch made a trip that was a huge step towards his own healing. He traveled from his home in in Oklahoma City to visit Bill McVeigh, the father of Timothy McVeigh. Everybody was scorning Bill McVeigh. How How could a dad raise such a monster? But Bud Welch came not only to find healing, but to also bring it. He visited over the kitchen table... Uh, with Mr. McVeigh. And as they talked, Bud Welch couldn't help but notice a, a, a photograph among the family pictures on the wall. He said, what a good looking boy he was. And Mr. McVeigh replied, that was Tim's high school graduation picture. And tears began to flow down his face as he looked at Bud Welch and, and as he said, I'm so sorry that my son murdered your daughter. Of the encounter, Bud Welch said, I've never felt closer to God than at that moment. I felt like a load had been lifted uh, from me. I cared about him. 
Bud Welch came offering healing and forgiveness to a stranger and he ended up gaining it for himself. A wonderful story of offering forgiveness. But folks, think of the greater story of you and I being forgiven by a holy God of all of our sins. That's what the resurrection of Christ, along with Calvary's cross, brings to us. The resurrection shows us, according to Isaiah 53, that the Father has accepted the sacrifice of His Son for sin. Without the resurrection, Calvary was not accepted. If Calvary was not accepted, then Christ died in vain. And if Christ died in vain, there's no payment for sin. If there's no payment for sin, we're still under the wrath and condemnation of a holy God. Again, that's how serious the matter is to deny the resurrection of Christ. What about the resurrection thirdly in relationship to death? Well, without the resurrection, death would be the end. Look at verse 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. Without the resurrection, death would be much to be feared. All death would do is is usher our spirit into nothingness or even worse into hell or eternal torment. That would be all we would have to look forward to. Without Easter, you might as well try to live as long as you can because there's nothing, whatever good, that awaits you beyond the grave. And that's why Paul said in this passage, we might as well eat and drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. If there are no resurrection, then your loved ones who you put in the ground have no future. They are eternally lost. You're lost. You'll never see one another again. Instead of the Christian being able to offer a shout of victory over the grave, it's the grave instead that would offer the shout of victory over us. Again, that's how serious this matter is. And fourthly, what about the resurrection In relationship to hope. If there were no resurrection, hope would be gone. Look at verse 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Ernest Hemingway expressed this hopelessness. He said, it is as though we are a colony of ants living on one end of a burning log. Without the resurrection there would be no future hope of heaven. Without the resurrection Christianity would be nothing more than a crutch to help us through life, but then at death the religion that I that the religion that we trusted in that was our cru- our crutch at death would have nothing whatsoever to offer to us. Folks, what a sorry religion that would be. It'd be like a football game I read about. Some boys got together to play football and one of them discovered they didn't have the football. And finally one of the boys said, never mind the ball, let's just get on anyway with the game. Well, that makes about as much sense as somebody saying, never mind the resurrection, let's just get on with Christianity. Folks, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there is no Christianity. 
And this is the conclusion of the matter that Paul makes. Why? Because Christianity is a resurrection gospel. It promises the forgiveness of sin, but it also promises eternal life through Christ. Because Christ has been raised from the dead, those who are His will likewise be raised from the dead. Aren't you thankful today that Jesus rose from the dead? He is the first fruits of those who will be raised. Now, in the Bible, you know what first fruits were? As the harvest was just beginning to come in, they would hold up the first fruits and they would celebrate. They would wave the first fruits in the air and they were celebrating. You know why? Because first fruits were a promise of more to come. In Christ, because he's raised from the dead, the first fruits, all of those who are in Christ will likewise be raised. I want you to read with me, beginning in verse 50. Beginning in verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then shall then, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. One of these days at the return of Christ, if you're still alive, your, your body will undergo a change. Those in the grave will be raised first. And we will go to eternally be with the Lord. No wonder Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Amen? Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, We know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in the heavens, not built by human hands. And then John, at the very end of the Bible, he says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven, and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. 
And he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Folks, it is so easy to see why the early Christians cried out in the words that close out the Bible. They said, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Would you bow with me, please? Am I speaking to somebody today who needs to come to Christ? Folks, we have the promise in God's word of the forgiveness of sin and new life in him. But the same Bible who promises that, that promises this also promises us there's only one way. It's Jesus. He said, I'm the way, the truth, in the life no one comes to the Father but by me do you need to come to Christ today I want us all to understand that because he lives we're never alone the book of Hebrews says even now even right now, he's making intercession for us. Hebrews 1.3 says, When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Paul in, in Romans 8 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So the Bible says the Holy Spirit's interceding for us. And the Son is also interceding for us. You're never alone. How can He make intercession for you? Because He's alive. A dead man can't make intercession. He's alive. And He prays for you. Whatever you're going through right now, the scripture says you can cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. He's proven that care at Calvary's cross. And he will intercede for your need, whatever your need is. There is nothing beyond his reach. I want you to also understand in Christ you have hope. You have a present hope. You have a future hope. And it is not a hollow hope. It is a hope that is rooted in the very promise of God who cannot lie. And it is a hope that is rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, again, I thank you for what you have given to us in the gospel. As was said earlier in prayer, something we could never do for ourselves, you provided for us. You dealt with our sin. You dealt with the grave. You've dealt with our need of eternal life.
Lord, we worship you today and with hearts of gratitude we say thank you because we don't deserve it. Lord, in response, I pray that we would seek first your kingdom, that we would live for you, that we would live for the one who died, was raised to life again, and who reigns, that we would live for you and not for ourselves and not for this world. And I pray for that one who needs to come to Christ now, confessing him as Lord of their lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.